Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, and today I have Roni Zide with me on the show. Roni is a kitchen witch. She is a lover of growing, harvesting, and crafting food. Roni is passionate about cooking for people as well as reconnecting people with their food and empowering them through cooking. Her goal is to help people feel more comfortable in their own kitchen. And in today's episode, Roni and I dive into the holy lands of Israel, living on the kibbutz, the kitchen, witch, and food as a healing modality, asking the right questions and allowing flow and ease in business. Can't wait to dive in. Roni, what has been the story that has led you to the work that you are offering on the planet today? Okay, well, food has just always been a huge part of my life. Everyone in my family cooks, my grandmothers, both my parents, my brothers. It's always been um, a big part of our culture and also just my family. Um, I grew up in Israel and it's very interesting because food in Israel is a lot cheaper if you make it at home. Whereas I learned in North America, it's often cheaper to buy junk food than make a salad. So there was a lot of moments in my childhood um, being a part of the cooking process, watching, learning. And I've like, since I was a kid, I would try to craft things. It wasn't always very delicious. When I was five years old, I would just put a bunch of stuff in a bowl and say, I made breakfast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and as I grew up, I, um, when I was 18, I was serving in a restaurant for probably one month when I realized this is not work for me. Um, yeah. I have so much appreciation for anybody that does this work. And I think everyone has to do that in some part of their life to have that appreciation. It's such a challenging job. And I quit and the place next door had a sign that said looking for a cook. And I've never worked in a place in a restaurant, but they never, they were new. It was a new business. So they didn't know what they were doing and they hired me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a cute little cafe. And I started just making random things and they said oh this is good can we put this on the menu oh this is good and working there for a little bit gave me that experience and I started working in um, other restaurants um, whether I was traveling or volunteering on farms I always found myself in the kitchen it's where I feel more most comfortable and passionate and it's interesting because a lot of people say when I lived on the kibbutz in Israel, which is a community farm, is a simplistic way of saying that, but um, everybody starts in the kitchen and really wants to find their way out to do other things. And I, I said, oh, can I keep working here? And they were so surprised. They said, you want to work in the kitchen? Yes, you should definitely. <laughs> so, you know, by the time I was 19, we were cooking three meals a day for 250 people. A lot of it was from things we harvested in the farm. And it just, 
I started to not only cook, but also grow the food, harvest the food, see the process. And it was just so satisfying. And uh, I always felt like, you know, bringing a plate of food to the table just gave me so much satisfaction to feed other people, to see their reaction, to nourish people. Um, And yeah, my whole life, it's been such a big part of how my journey has developed and how I've grown and how I ended up having a business that is all about food. All about food. What is life on the kibbutz like? I don't know if I'm saying that word right. So I hope I didn't. (laughs) Um, Life on the kibbutz. So this was, you know, quite a while ago, I was 19 years old and there's not a lot of places like the one I stayed in anymore. It's really changed over the past 20, 30 years. But um, the one I stayed in is an organic farm in the middle of the desert, which is not where you'd expect to see all this lushness and yeah. abundance. They have really mastered growing fruit, vegetables, herbs, um, there's a date orchard. So there's dates and there's uh, vines. So they make wine and there's olives and just, oh, incredible. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when I was in Israel recently, I, um, I really miss that place sometimes. But to go there and live and volunteer now is very different than my life now. But when I was 19, you know, waking up at five in the morning and working all day, physical work. It was great. Now mm. I enjoy my slow mornings. I, you know, I've, I've created a different life, but back then it was very satisfying. We would start the day with um, everyone sitting in the dining room in silence for 15 minutes, like a morning meditation together. And then they would have a list of things that need to be done that day that need volunteers for. So you kind of have a little bit of changes in your day. And then you look at the schedule, see where you're posted for the day. And, and the, the way they, they do it there, the day is divided. So you do a couple of hours of work and then there's a break and then a couple hours of work and then there's a break. And the breaks are always very meaningful. There's always super interesting conversation. It's a very unique place. Mm. And uh, I was mostly working in the kitchen, but I was there for a few months. So I got to work in the date orchard and then the olive orchard and in the vegetable garden and explore a little bit of the other things. And that was probably the most satisfying thing was to go in the process, say the apricots. I got to pick some of the apricots in the picking season. Then I got to work in the factory where we processed them and we were making fruit leather. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of months later, I ended up um, working for a couple of days at the store they have and selling it. So it was really seeing the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. And it gave me a new appreciation for for all this process. Because when we see a product in the store, it's usually just you know, something that's wrapped and ready to go. And you don't necessarily know the story behind it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then in between 
I would go for walks in the desert. There's an amazing natural pool. Well, they created it, but it's not like a chlorine pool. So it felt like a natural pool overlooking the desert, surrounded with palm trees. And yeah, it was a very beautiful place to be in that age. You know, leaving my parents' home, finding myself, my independency, my, what do I want to do? Yeah. It's a very good base. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. Almost like you went through the process of a seed to the final, the finished product when it like appears on a person's plate. And that's such a beautiful process. Cause oftentimes in our society, it's like, we just want things instantly, you know, yes. even in our own personal lives, it's like, well, I, I asked for this God, why isn't it here yet? <laughs> It's like, there's a gestation period that has to, that life has to go through that the earth goes through. And so seeing that from like seed and, and all the different stages that it takes to get the food onto the table. Definitely. And I traveled through Israel. I don't even know how long ago it was now. 2015 it was 2015. Uh, so I guess that's seven years already. And I didn't expect the vegan food, such a, like I didn't know anything about it. And I remember being in Spain right before I went to Israel. And, um, one of the, the men that was at the place that I was staying was like, you are going to be blown away by the food. Cause I was vegan at that time. And I was like, it was amazing. Like the food and the culture yeah. was so alive there. And so what comes to mind for you as to like the, the food culture and the vegan food aspect of it, because I know that's part of your work now, like your, your cookbook, mm -hmm. it's all vegan. Yeah. Um, is that just a way of life in Israel or how does that play into it? The, the food culture? Well, okay. So I decided to turn vegetarian on my 11th birthday. And that's also been a big part of my life, obviously. And Growing up there, it wasn't really, I mean, there were definitely people that were vegetarian and vegan, but it wasn't as common as it is now. And it wasn't, you know, there wasn't enough information about it. And even though Israeli food is very vegetarian and vegan friendly to begin with, I mean, you know, falafel, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, like there was always food for me to eat at family dinners. They didn't have to make something special necessarily. Um, but by the age of 13, um, it turned out that I was anemic because I didn't know that I need to, to do eat certain things. Um, one of my funniest memories is my mom coming home with tofu one day, just a block of tofu and saying, I heard you're supposed to eat this thing. I was just like, opened it and tried it raw. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was not very good when you're 13 <laughs> years old. Now I can snack on raw tofu and enjoy it. But as a kid, I was just like, oh, and I just, I didn't eat it again until I was like 18, but I went to the doctor, I got my blood works, and then he gave me a list of things I need to eat. And they were all like spleen, liver. And I said, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I have this deficiency because I don't eat meat. And he just said, oh, well, I don't know what you need to eat then. He had no idea. And then I, me and my family, we, we had to start figuring it out, learning. And that's before you could ask Google anything. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. So that was interesting. But uh, I feel like my body, once it kind of learned the basics, just 
new intuitively. When it needs something, when it craves something. Um, and yeah, it's been great ever since. I do my blood works every year and everything is always great. Mm. Um, about probably 10, maybe more now, years ago, there's there was a big shift in Israel with the whole veganism movement. So as I was growing up, I started to meet more people that were vegetarian. Um, and I met a few vegans here and there, but back then it seemed so extreme to me just because it wasn't familiar. It wasn't something I knew of and, and there weren't all these, you know, substitutions that are available now or just the knowledge of like, oh, then what do you eat? Which is why I can really relate now to people that ask me that because I was in that place. And there was um, an American um, activist that came to Israel and did a line of free um, lectures about veganism. And Israel is so small, everything spreads there so quickly. And all of a sudden, everybody started being vegan. And there's another vegan restaurant and a bakery and a sushi place and a pizza place. And now it's really vegan heaven. Like you said, there's so yes. many options. And, <laughs> and again, there, it was never a problem finding something to eat because they're like, the diet there is, is definitely more based on fruit and vegetables and mm. things in season too, which is very different. Like being back home now, I remembered the beauty of something has a short season. You have to wait for it. You really appreciate that like one month that you can enjoy this fruit and then you just have to wait until next year. But in that one month, it tastes like it needs to taste mm. sweet yeah. and fresh and and real i feel like sometimes in the winter here we get fruits that come from far away and it just like water <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so it's really um it feels so natural now going there and everywhere you see a sign oh we have vegan options this is vegan and things that everybody knows what it is now you know mm. older people people that it's not in their natural environment now it is because everybody knows at least one person that's vegan my aunt became vegan because she got diabetes and the doctor recommended it to her so look at the difference between wow. what that doctor said to me 20 something years ago to a doctor now telling oh you should try a vegan diet and it did help her a lot with her diabetes mm. and change things so much better for her so it's been beautiful to watch that happen. Yeah. yeah. And so with Israel, and I, I know eventually you moved to Canada. That was part of, or is part of your story and started working and, and mm -hmm. food and all your medicine and magic here. And we'll, we'll come to that, but with Israel and just what is the land speak? If that makes sense, that's a really odd question, but it's like these lands speak different tones. I remember being in Jordan when I, we went over across the border and went over to Jordan and it was such a like vibration going to Petra and all these different places. And, you know, Avalon's a big part of my journey. Travel's just been a huge part of my journey. And so different lands speak or hold different energies. That's a better way to put it or, or vibrations or frequencies. And Israel is just so steeped in magic, like the Holy lands. Um, so does anything come to mind for you of like, 
kind of what Canada speaks <laughs> and what Israel, <laughs> Israel speaks. Cause there's, there's a, a very significant difference between the two lands. Um, yes. So when I walk in Israel, I mean, when I'm in nature there, whether it's a desert or, or the sea, I mean, the sea is, that's my natural habitat. That's where I grew up. Mm. That feels like freedom and that chaos of, you know, there's a lot going on there. But it's like, that's where everybody goes to just, just be grounded, just forget about all the craziness. And, and uh, my family spends a lot of time in the desert too, which is another just like, that quiet, that peace, or just that's, you know, everything else is out. There's no cell phone reception. You're like just in your own body, in your own space. Um, and then when I walk in the old cities, so I'm not a religious person, but when I walk in the old streets of Jerusalem or Akko or Yafo, and a lot of them, it's still the old stones that they built so many years ago. I love to close my eyes and imagine the markets that were there hundreds and thousands of years ago. And just like, I can really feel it. And that's the vibration I get there. Just like, Oh, so much has happened here and is still happening here. So many people have come and gone through those lands. Um, I really like the market is the first place I go in a new city. Or a city that I, you know, go back to to visit or something. Um, with Canada, obviously the cities feel newer. Mm. I mean, Calgary, I feel like is a beautiful city. We have the rivers and so many amazing parks that you're all of a sudden you feel like you're in nature. And that's beautiful. I love, I love that. And that's a big part of my daily routine is to being the city, but away from the city. Mm. But when I go into nature here, the mountains are just so humbling. Because when I first came here, those, you know, we don't have that in Israel. We have, we have little mountains, little hills that we call mountains. <laughs> and the mountains here are so beautiful. And the water, there's so much water. Israel for years was struggling with, with water. Mm. Um, there was just one lake. And until they figured out a way to use the seawater for drinking to treat it, um, it was always as a kid, like, oh, you can't leave, you can't wash your car, you can't leave the tap open. Everyone was always on high alert. And then coming here and there's water everywhere. And water is life. It's, mm. it's so amazing. And uh, I always think, wow, like now we live here. There is road, there are roads, there's heat, there's all those things. But I always think about the indigenous people that have lived here for so many years before us without all of this technology. They had their own technology. And that to me is amazing. And that's something I wish I learned more about earlier on in my days in Canada. Mm. But it definitely took a while. Um, to come more to my awareness, it, which is very unfortunate. Um, but I'm definitely trying to do some more learning now. I'm doing the um, 
one of the universities has that um, Indigenous Canada course that is free. Mm, And when I took my citizenship test, it was interesting. It was, you know, it was mentioned, but it was too small of a part, in my opinion, of of all the teaching. So, yeah, it's funny because when people ask me, oh, what's Canadian food like? And, you know, I used to say, well, I don't know what's Canadian food because what is it? Burgers? Like, you know, like French Canadian have their own stuff, but like, what is Canadian food? But now I think Canadian food is indigenous food, Mm -hmm. but that's, it's not what people usually think about when they think of Canadian food. And that's something I hope will change. Yeah. I think that's really coming back that awareness. And I was born and raised in Canada. I grew up really far North surrounded by indigenous communities and we didn't learn about it. We didn't learn about their practices, their spiritual practices, their, their medicine, you know, when we were growing up because the residential schools were still happening, you know? And so this is such a new powerful moment where those teachings are being essentially resurrected and we can learn about the truth of this land that we're living on, which is so powerful, but it, it has been such a, you know, just speaking to when you became a Canadian citizen and not learning about it, it's like, well, you think you would learn about that, but it was still so hidden and that that aspect of yeah Canada is is rising again yeah it, it was mentioned but I I was just like this is this should be a way bigger part you know like this that's yeah. what Canada is but um I feel like yeah. there's a lot of things that are sur- surfacing up finally their time is now and I'm excited for that and it's it's there's so many emotions involved in that, you know, there's a lot of pain. I'm sure there's a lot of release. Um, so yeah, I trying to do my best of learning and just being mindful. I feel like there's so many things I learned about in Canada, cultural appropriation you know, Mm -hmm. like that's not a thing I've heard about living in Israel. And then I go back and there are definitely those things are still happening. And when I bring it up, people are like, what are you talking about? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's been definitely an interesting journey. Yeah. And with that, like without the cultural appropriation in Israel, would it be because most of the people that live there are indigenous to the land, like they're from that land, whereas opposed to Canada, so many, you know, Caucasian people came from the UK, from uh, England, Ireland, those places and migrated over. Well, a lot of people that live in land. Israel, I mean, I'm personally fifth generation in Israel, but they came from somewhere else. A lot of people that live in Israel are first or second or third generation. So Mm. they also immigrated and there, there were other people living there too. And uh, it definitely exists there, the cultural appropriation, but it's not a concept that people talk about or aware of. I feel like people are in such a state of survival there Mm. constantly in so many aspects. 
Um, yeah, it was interesting to bring that up in conversations and people are just like, another thing to deal with? Like, we already have so much going on, you know? But there's definitely people that are doing this work. Definitely. Um, which is very important work. Yeah. It's funny to me when people hear I'm from Israel and they, and they ask me, so what do you think is the solution to this conflict? And I'm like, do you think if I knew what the solution is, they wouldn't have already <laughs> figured it out? It's a very complicated situation. In Israel? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But um, now that I go visit, I've, I've been living in Canada. My goodness, it's been 17, 16 years now that it's been my home base. My whole, you know, becoming an adult has been here. Mm. So I've definitely, my mentality is more, I feel, Canadian. My roots are Israeli, but my adult mentality is, is from here. And it, it definitely clashes a lot. Yeah. When I go what, back. Go ahead. What, what brought you to Canada? What was the. <laughs> it's funny because it wasn't a plan. I wasn't planning to move here. Um, when I was living in the kibbutz, I met this guy and uh, we became really good friends and it wasn't very clear. What's, what is this relationship? And um after the kibbutz, I spent some time in Philadelphia. I stayed there for a few months with some friends. And, and then I just felt this. It's funny because Canada was never on my list of places to go. I, you know, since I was a kid, I was like, I want to go to Mexico and Hawaii and Paris. And, and Canada was like this place far away north that is cold. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, all of a sudden, I had this calling to come and and see what is this relationship, and um, and I did. I came to visit him by surprise, and I ended up staying. We ended up becoming a couple and staying together for ten years. Mm. And it wasn't easy the first year. Like I came to visit, and then I just stayed, and it was so cold. You know, winter in Israel is like plus 15. I was there in winter. Yeah, it's very different than Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe that it can be this cold. And I didn't have the proper clothing. And it was, I didn't know many people. And the first year I, you know, I was, I had a visitor visa, so I couldn't work. It was really a struggle. And then we went together to Israel for six months. He did a semester there. And all of a sudden I missed Canada. It was weird. Oh, wow. So we came back here and then for the next few years, the, it was um, falls in Israel, winter traveling, summer warm, and then back here for the summer in Canada. It was a good, uh, it was a good cycle. Yeah. That's like the beauty of both wor- worlds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Soaking it in. And I know that was part of your lifestyle for a long time, right? Going over to Israel in the winter time or a couple times a year. Yeah. Being in Canada. And then the then I opened my business in 2014. And all of a sudden I didn't have this uh flexibility that I was used to. Mm. And uh the first two years of the business were so intense. I worked every day 
for like 12 hours just trying to figure things out and I think I went for two weeks like for a visit in those two years and it was very different than what I was used to and uh and then I started to you know my business has really changed a lot over the years of what I wanted to be and what what is it what's working for me yeah yeah. yeah. What does your business look like now? What is it that you're offering now? Well, now, okay, maybe I'll go to the beginning and I'll okay. tell you the, the evolution of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to want to have my own restaurant, especially as I worked in restaurants for many years. And um, I worked at the coup in Calgary for about seven years before I opened my own business. And I loved it. You know, back then I loved that rush of just like everything has, you know, you have to do it fast, but you have to make it beautiful. You want it to be delicious and just like there was something very exciting about it. And the kid was just an amazing place to work. The women that started it, they just created a family. And after working in other kitchens that were all run by men, angry men, it was really beautiful to work in a place that we felt seen and respected and I thought okay you can have another kind of business in this industry it doesn't have to be an angry kitchen and uh, I was working on a business plan I actually wanted to open kind of a hummus place I remember uh, the name you told me the name one time and it was so cute I loved it <laughs> yes little hummus on the prairie yeah that was yeah. the you know and um and it was exciting and scary. And I remember like finalizing kind of the budget of what it would take to actually start a restaurant in Calgary. And it was, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot more now, but back then it was like $150,000 that you would need to start and more, right? As you operate, like usually you don't make profit in the first little while. And um, I didn't, I didn't have that money. I don't have that money still. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, okay, well, this is not going to happen. And then my good friend, um, well, back then we, we weren't as good friends, but he used to um, own Cafe Koi downtown. And he said, well, why don't you try pop-up first? We are not doing brunch on the weekend. The space is open. You can do that on the weekend and just kind of like test the market. And and being myself, I just jumped in the water. Like we like from that conversation to the first brunch, I think it was like two and a half weeks. Just like called my favorite people from the kitchen and said, "All right, who wants to work?" Everyone is like, "Yes," and and it was we ran it for a year and a half every weekend mm -hmm. and it was so much fun we created this amazing community the food was I mean I was very happy with it and people were coming back for it but it was just so intense there was so much to to figure out and you know having only a kitchen on the weekend means that you have to make enough food but not too much food because the rest 
you know, I mean, we ate it, we didn't waste it, but it's like, you can't sell it the week after everything has to be fresh. And uh, it was just so intense. And then I realized, okay, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have a restaurant. And this was a really great way of realizing Learning, it yeah. without yeah. investing all this money, borrowing, um, opening a place like restaurants. So many restaurants close within the first year because I think people like me don't realize that there is so much more to it. It seems so romantic. <clears throat> so, I mean, before doing the pop-up, I was already doing some cooking classes in my own home for some people. First, it was people I knew, and then I started bringing their friends and their family and stuff. And people would ask me for a little catering, you know, small events and stuff. And then I realized, okay, these are two things that I enjoy doing. Give me more flexibility. And actually, I can make a, I can make money with it because doing the brunch you know after buying the food and paying my staff and paying rent and there was nothing left and I still had to exist so that was that was a hard reality to discover that you work so hard and then the end of the money and the end of the month there is no money (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um so I, I got a commercial kitchen and I started teaching classes out of there and I started doing catering out of there. And all of a sudden we started doing weddings, vegan weddings in Alberta. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, that was not very common. It's still not super common, but it's definitely becoming more of a thing. And oh, it was so satisfying. Just... You know, there was always the uncle that would come and say, jokingly, where's the bacon? And, <laughs> you know, and we had to have our like, you know, nice face on and just say, well, it's not here. But <laughs> always, always we would have at least a few people come into the kitchen and say, wow, I didn't realize I can enjoy a vegan meal. That was really good. I feel really good. And and uh, and then I realized this is my this is my mission yeah. to make this food accessible to people that are not familiar with it. And I feel like that's a really good way into people's hearts, their stomach, right? Mm-hmm. There's a saying. <laughs> if you're hungry, you're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hangry, <laughs> so fill them up. Yeah. So I started teaching classes and doing catering and started doing retreats, which is something I also really love, like either cooking for retreats or hosting my own retreats, cooking, cooking ones, which was really fun. And there was a few other, you know, projects along the way, because I would have an idea and I'm the kind of person that most of the time need to get through something to see if it works. Mm. So I had a meal service, which I think that's how we met originally. That is Well, uh, how we met is I came to, um, we made sourdough bread and sauerkraut. It was a cooking class in okay. that cute little house in Inglewood. <laughs> in Ramsey. Yeah. Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's how we met. And then I started buying your okay. meal service. And then you also um, provided food for one of right. the retreats. And what I, what I love about the food is it's so hearty and wholesome. And like, 
heavy for lack of better word, but it's like, it's Canada. It's winter time. Like we yeah. need heavier foods, like, right. Not a bunch of salads. Yeah. <laughs> time. And so when I used to think of vegan food, I would think more like salads and a lot of raw vegetables, all that kind of stuff. But your food is not that at all. It's so delicious and hearty and like that heart warming mm-hmm. food. And I think that surprises people about vegan dishes. Yeah. I mean, salad is probably still one of my favorite things to eat, but you're right. When it's a, when it's a cold day, you at least also want that like hearty, hearty. thing. Yeah. And yes, there's so many beautiful vegetables and spices and legumes and things you can put together. Yeah. Yeah. So the meal service we ran for a couple of years. Then I had this line of grab and go meals for a few cafes that we would deliver every morning, you know, sandwiches and soups and desserts and stuff. And um, I was running probably five different things at the same time. And it was 2017. I remember I was, um, I was, I applied for a volunteer position at Envision Festival in Costa Rica. And all of a sudden, like two weeks before the festival, I haven't heard back from them. I get an email. You've been accepted for the kitchen crew. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, well, this is in two weeks. And I thought, like, that's not enough time to, but my staff, they were all like, you're gone. We're going to make it work. They looked at the schedule. Everyone covered like my shifts, figured out who's going to do what. Um, and then I looked online and I had just enough points to get a free return flight to Costa Rica and everything just came together. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to Costa Rica. (laughs) Oh, I love when the goddess weaves a web like that, where it's just like, you're going, this is part of your path. It's happening. And it ended up being, uh, (laughs) a rougher journey than I thought it would be. (laughs) My flights got canceled after I arrived to the airport and I spent 12 hours in the Calgary airport waiting for another flight, not knowing it's going to take 12 hours. And then I missed my ride and, you know, everything just kind of, and then I got to the airport in Costa Rica and they lost my bag and I got to the site of Envision and I had a tent that I rented there, but they didn't have the fly and it started raining. So I was just like in this tent, (laughs) soaking wet, don't have my clothes, so tired, thinking like, what is going on here? And um, I went into my shift and, you know, I thought, okay, this is a festival. Like I've heard so many amazing things about this place. And I was unpleasantly surprised. with how it was going. Um, I learned later from other friends that volunteered in other areas that the kitchen is very different, but I got in there and um, it was intense. It was very, everyone had a different wristband with a different color and and, um, they could tell it was my first year and people would just not talk to me. They're like, oh, you're just a volunteer. I'm a coordinator. And, and it actually reminded me of my very short stint in the Israeli army for a week. <laughs> it was this like game where people were, you know, there's hierarchy. You don't talk to people out of your level. Mm. And, um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna, you know, they let me peel potatoes. 
fine. Yes, I've, you know, catered weddings for 400 people, but if you want me to peel potatoes, that's okay. And I would just do my work, talk to the other volunteers and, and then, you know, go enjoy the rest of my time. But it was so interesting to see how different of experience it was. Yeah. And then um, I was sitting on the beach one afternoon and I remember just sitting there looking at the sunset and thinking, oh, I'm in this beautiful place, but I can't stop thinking about work. There's so many things like I have all these different projects going on at the same time, five different things. All of them need more of my attention. And how can I make them all work? Like, how can I fix it? How can I? And, you know, if I just had one of these things at a time, they would be so much more successful. But I was dividing myself. And all of a sudden, this inner voice of me just said, you're asking the wrong questions. And uh, I said, okay, what is the question? And the question was, do you want to do this? Oh, I love that. And the answer was no. It was so just like straightforward. No, I don't want to do all these things anymore. I just want to do the things that I enjoy and the things that I actually I can make a living doing because I was, I kept, kept struggling with, you know, wanting to pay a fair wage to my employees and wanting to get good ingredients and following all the regulations you need, you know, yeah. the, the, the permits and the, and everything adds up and there's nothing left for me. And I said, this is not why I wanted to have a business. And then the words of my wise auntie came back to me and she said, your business has to work for you, not the other way around. Mm. And uh, funny enough, later that day, I ran into um, Jen Silver mm-hmm. at Envision. And she oh, wow. was oh, running. Yeah. <laughs> she was running wild and raw at the time. And she was just telling me how she decided to shut it down. Mm. And, and it was just not serving her anymore. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's like, sometimes we hold on to things because we think if we end it, it's a failure, but it's not, it's just, everything doesn't last forever. Everything has its season. And so that yeah. end of the season, the winter was showing up for this. Yeah. And I, and I think this is one of my favorite things about how I've been running this business is if it doesn't work, I let it go. And I'm not stuck on this. I wanted to have a restaurant. I said I was going to have a restaurant, so I'm going to have a restaurant. Like I realized it's not what I want. It's not what I need. Okay. And then I, I just test other things. And if, if they work, they stay. And if they don't, they don't. And it's been hard, you know, because there are a lot of people that were getting our services regularly and were very disappointed. And and I still sometimes get messages about when, when are you doing a brunch or are you still doing a meal service or, and it's the best Mac and cheese on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I've made it myself, but it's, it's really good. The, cause I have your recipe book right? and I made it myself, but it's, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's so good. So good. And you know, that, that was, um, a big a big lesson, the power of no, 
mm. of saying, I will not continue to do this because it does not serve me anymore. And if I'm doing something I'm not truly enjoying doing, it's not going to be as good of a product as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so liberating. I came back and I made, you know, an announcement to my clients on my newsletter and social media. Like in one month, I'm going to end these services. And I just felt like, oh, I, I feel so free. I feel so liberated. And I decided to just stick with the cooking classes and the catering because mm. those are two things that I have control of when they happen. I want to take a month or two off. Okay. I, you know, I want to teach five yeah. classes a week. Okay. I, I decide. Um, and, you know, I used to take any catering gig that came my way when I first started because I needed to, I needed to get the reputation and get the experience. But at some point I thought, okay, well, unless it's a minimum amount of money, it's not, it's not worth my time again. Like I'm not going to work for free. Yeah. And that was the first year I started actually making a living from my business. And it felt so good. But, oh, what a nice concept. You work and you get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. And you value what you're offering to mm-hmm. like the medicine that you're offering. That's so important. Yeah. To be like, there's a lot of worth and value in my medicine, my mission on the planet. Yeah. So I was doing that for the past few years, just the catering and the classes and, you know, adding new menu items, adding new um, classes, hosting some retreats. There's an amazing retreat that I was hosting with my friend Latifa. She's an amazing herbalist and we do we were doing an annual um, wild harvesting and cooking retreat. So we would take a group for a couple of nights. She would lead the harvest plant walk. And then we would learn how to cook these local foods and just what an incredible experience every time. Mm. And when COVID, well, I guess before COVID, I had my cookbook just before COVID arrived. (laughs) Yeah. Was that was that always kind of in the works or was that something that really quickly came together? The cookbook? I always had this knowing that I'm going to write a book one day. Mm. I love traveling and I love cooking and I love photography. And I, I didn't think it was going to be necessarily a cookbook, but I always knew there was going to be a book that has all these three components. And uh, with time, so many people no, I, I noticed people were asking me very often, do you have a cookbook? Do you have a cookbook? And I, and I used to think like, who buys cookbooks? <laughs> Everything's on the internet. Um, but I guess people, go, people buy cookbooks. <laughs> and, <do>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and one day um, I was in an ecstatic dance and the theme was water and it was a guided one. And it was just incredible. Like the whole, I, I remember we're walking around the room in a circle and she was guiding us through some movement and the water theme. And I just felt like all of a sudden, like my heart opened and this river was just like flowing mm-hmm. through me of like ideas. And, and, and I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to make a cookbook. This is what I'm going to do. This is my next. Cause I'm always thinking, okay, what's the next thing I want to create and do I, I don't like doing the same thing over and over. And I just, uh, I, I just decided it's going to happen. 
in the next few months, we're kind of figuring out, you know, talking to people, getting some, some more information about what that takes. It takes a lot. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. um, and then mm. go ahead. You did a Kickstarter with yours. I did. Well. Yeah. Yes. I always had this idea because it's quite an expensive endeavor. And um, I didn't want to get into debt once again. And I was actually, it was funny that winter when I started working on it, I went to the Bahamas to work in a yoga retreat center as, a, as their chef. And it ended up being also a very experience, different experience than what I thought. Um, not a good one. It was the most beautiful place, but the feeling there was very toxic. It was once again that army feeling of hierarchy. That's interesting. It was an ashram, and I was there for a couple of months. I don't even remember how long I ended up staying, but I left earlier than what I was supposed to. And I thought I was going to go there and, you know, start working on my book while working there. But my energy there was just, it was not good. And I realized I need to, I need to leave here. And it was funny because I went from there to New York to stay with a good friend. And after this intense couple of months, I felt so relaxed in their home Hmm. and people are like, Oh, you're in New York. It must be so intense and crazy after the Bahamas, but it was the opposite. I felt so grounded and content. Mm -hmm. And one day I was making dinner and, and she said, Oh, you have to teach me all these things. Like, you know, she's, she's always so, overwhelmed by cooking she said I I need you to write this recipe exactly the way you did it so I can do it exactly the same and and she said what are you gonna what are you gonna make that book already I said yeah you know I really kind of let go of that because it's just been so intense and and she said just do it just start this kickstarter just you know just do it and and that was it that was the moment that I went online and I started creating a campaign Yeah, and it was an all or nothing. And I thought, okay, if it doesn't work, if I don't raise enough money, it's a sign and I don't make it. Yeah. And it worked. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That like trust in the goddess and just letting it do what it wants to do, you know? Yeah. Get out there. It was a lot of hard work, but it came together beautifully and and the amount of support that was like pouring, it was incredible from people I know and people I don't know. And the team that was working with me on the book, three amazing women, they were just so passionate and so excited to be a part of it that it just felt mm-hmm. amazing. And I still, you know, it's been two years since the book has been released and still when someone buys a new book or I, or I give it to someone and I get to see them flip through the first time. And, and I see they're like, you know, you've seen the book, every, every recipe has a colorful, beautiful photo. It's mm-hmm. very, it's beautiful. Like, and I see them getting excited. It's like, my heart is just so happy. Like, oh, 
And the feedback has been amazing. I've I've had a lot of people write to me like this is this is like our go-to. We cook so much from it. Our kids love it. And and that's why I made it. You know, I didn't make it to just have it sit on someone's bookshelf and never being used. And yeah. I, I I gave one to a friend and uh, she spilled something on it the first day she cooked. And she said, oh, I feel so bad. This beautiful book. And I said, no, this is what a cookbook should look like. It should be dirty. It should be full of mm. handprints and because it means it's being used. Yeah. I think that's why people still buy cookbooks as opposed to just get the recipes online. Cause it's so beautiful to have like, you know, where the pages are worn. It's like, Oh, I've cooked that recipe so many times and there's like <laughs> memories attached to it, you know? So yeah. they're, they're almost like things that we pass down to our kids or, you know, get, give away or, or whatever. Like there's memory steeped in cookbooks because cooking such a powerful way to come together and to create. And it's in a, expression of the self in so many ways. So yeah, I love the cookbook. I love the mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me crave it now. (laughs) So then with, um, with COVID, because most of the stuff that you were doing was in person, how has it pivoted since then? And is it pivoting back now that we're kind of coming out of it? Well, so obviously I couldn't do my cooking classes in person because it's all people, you know, yeah. cooking together, their hands touching each other's food. It's a very like communal. And it's mostly the classes were groups that didn't know each other, people that would just sign up for a ticket. So I I stopped teaching um in person. And in the beginning I just did a few, you know, back when we thought, oh, this is just a couple weeks. Mm. I did a couple of uh, just like free live ones on Facebook and invite people to join me just to keep that community feeling. Yeah. And people said, you should, you should do this. Like I'll join a zoom class. And I thought, okay, let's, let's give it a try. And I started doing um, live zoom classes. And at first it was pay what you can. There was like a sliding scale. And I've noticed that everyone was, you know, paying the higher scale which is always, it's a good feedback, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they, they see the worth in this. And um, yeah, I started doing the weekly classes and it was definitely very different than having that feeling that we're all in the same space, but there was something beautiful about it. I was in my own home from being an eight hour day of work. It became a three hour day of work. And I wasn't as exhausted by the end. And I didn't have to wash dishes of 15 people at the end, which was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and people, the feedback was great. People can be in their own kitchen using their own stuff so they can recreate it, knowing how it works in their space. And people started joining from outside Calgary, from across Canada, from the US, from Europe. And and. It was just such a cool, you know, families that live all across different places in Canada would join and get to hang out, something that they wouldn't get to do otherwise. That's neat. And I was also recording all these classes and anybody that bought a ticket would get uh, the recording that they could view after the class again. And I started noticing that a lot of people were watching only their recording because they couldn't make it in person. Um, 
the timing didn't work. And then I thought, okay, well, people are asking for weekend classes, for night classes, for morning classes. What if I just recorded my classes and then people can access them anytime? Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be better than a Zoom recording, like better quality. Um, And I've been wanting to transition to online classes for years because of my lifestyle of traveling and having my family in Israel. And all of a sudden I got this like push that I needed. And um, yeah, last summer I created a few more classes and recorded nine classes with a videographer in a beautiful kitchen. And we filmed 80 something recipes. So the concept is that each class has an average of nine recipes and each recipe has its own video. So people don't have to do all of them together and they kind of choose what they want to do. Um, and it's all on my website now. So when they purchase a the class, they can watch it whenever they want, how many times they want. They can come back to it. They also get the written recipe, a list of all the equipment they need and stuff. And um, it's been interesting, create, you know, at first being like I had this idea but then on the first day in front of the camera I thought okay this is awkward (laughs) like I'm used to talking to people about food but now they're gonna like it's gonna be recorded yeah (laughs) but the videographer Chelsea she's amazing and we're good friends and it very quickly became you know we laughed a lot and we had fun and we worked hard and over the winter, well, summer and fall, she edited the videos and it was hundreds of hours of back and forth of watching mm-hmm. revisions. And, you know, I wanted everything to be as smooth as possible, as clear as possible, as accessible. And just around Christmas time, we launched it to a new website, which I'm so excited about. And now, yeah, anyone anywhere in the world can do my classes whenever they want. Oh, that's exciting. It is. Yeah. Really feels like my heart is like sending, you know, mm. rays of light like further and further away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool to see where people sign up from and how the hell they find out about me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful. It's like that little push from the universe with COVID just allowed you to move your business online. And so now you have that freedom to travel and do as much, you know, maybe in-person classes that you want or the retreats or the catering as you see fit, not where before it might've been, that was your only source of income. Now there's passive sources of income that allow a lot more freedom and people to experience your work where you're not trading dollars for hours, you know, that's such a beautiful, yeah way to allow the uh, universe to support us, the abundance to flow in. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, it's, um, well, I lost my train of thought. Oh, just that wanting to make this transition, but not having the time because when I was teaching and doing catering all the time, there's no time to create something new if you're, and all the time, all the, all the moment, well, sorry, (laughs) all of a sudden I had time. And uh, 
it's like what I've wanted for so long to just have some time to create something new. Mm. And yeah, it was just amazing. And I mean, I have so many other ideas and projects of things I want to do. And now the school is up so I can start working on the next thing. And there's always movement. And with catering, you know, we had a few weddings planned for the summer of 2020. They got postponed and then they got postponed again. And then some of them started canceling or making them smaller. And catering is something that I do love, but it's also physically, it's a very demanding, very demanding work. I was just spending some time with my friend yesterday that we've worked together for over a decade now. And we were talking about the first wedding um, we catered together through my business and how I worked 18 hours that day was the longest day of work Mm. for me, 18 hours on my feet, physical labor. I don't miss that at all. Yeah. (laughs) And um, yeah, I decided last summer that I'm going to stop offering catering too, Mm. which is something, you know, if I, if I want to, I can always come back to it. Mm-hmm. But I stopped offering that on my website um, because I found that I'm not as passionate about it as, it as I used to be. I mean, I love the I love the day of the event, the cooking, the interaction with people, seeing people enjoy the food. And there's something about weddings too that is extra special. Like when people choose me and my food to be at their wedding, it's really special. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there's so much more to it. Like most of the work around catering is on the computer, all the planning and ordering and all that kind of stuff. And, but I've, I have so many amazing memories. Just the people I've worked with, the experience it was for all of us, just, we had fun. We had a lot of fun. And I really think that, people could taste that too not just like I always think about I like to provide people with experiences whatever it is that I'm offering if it's a cooking class or a retreat or a meal that they're having it's an experience it's not just you know what's the story behind it and you know when me and my team would walk into a kitchen setting up for a wedding or a retreat our energy was like high vibration. We were happy. And I would always think, okay, this, all this food is coming with us in the vehicle as vegetables and, you know, raw material, we process it. And then it leaves this hall in people's bodies. And it's not just the food, it's the energy that leaves with them too. Like, and that was just always such a beautiful thought. Like people are living here with a smile and we have a part of it. Yeah. I love that. It's like following what lights you up. And so if you get that nudge from the universe, like catering's not lighting me up or doing the meal service, isn't lighting me up anymore. It's like so powerful to follow that because when we follow what lights us up, it's like, we can't go wrong. Everything's not meant to be forever. I always come back to that. Like everything's not meant to be forever. And so when we let things die, we create space for the next like new light to come in. And it's like, if it's not lighting you up, Mm. the people that are receiving it, it's not lighting them up the same way either. You know, it's like, we're, 
we're always exchanging our energy in different ways on this planet. And so when we can like tune into our own energy and what feels really good, that's what we're exchanging with other humans. Definitely. And as you said, you need to make room for something new. Like if your time is full and busy all the time with things that you're not loving all of them, there's no room for anything new. If you make that room, even if you don't know what's the next thing you want to do, all of a sudden you have the time and space to, to let it become, it naturally happens. Yeah. It's like that when you were on the beach in Costa Rica and just uh, you're asking the wrong question and it's like, those signs from the universe, like I got a sign and I was in a medicine ceremony last week and the, and the, the clearest messages, like so point blank clear, like, and that's what you received. Those messages can be so clear and concise from the universe where it's like, call him or for you, you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> it's like, yes, sometimes we complicate things where we think it has to be so, um, complicated, like the, the messages from the universe. I know in my experience, like I've thought, well, they're going to come in these like complex ways. And it's so simple, just like wait or call or ask a different question. I think that's so powerful because we get these clear messages and sometimes we don't trust them. Or in my experience, I don't trust them or listen because I think, well, that's too simple. (laughs) yes but the universe is simple you know (laughs) it's true and we just gotta pay attention to the because sometimes Mm -hmm. it's so subtle the signs are so they're like I'm just sitting here in front of you you just have to look at me and you'll see it sometimes we're so busy with all the things around and I think if we just take I really like to think of it as like just zoom out for a second. Sometimes we're so zoomed in on like one thing. And then it's like, just zoom out for a second. It's like, oh, this is just such a small part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of the gifts of COVID was it allowed the opportunity for people to slow down and zoom out and be like, what's right in front of me that I haven't been seeing this whole time, you know, because we had to push pause yeah I mean for me there's been so many blessings obviously a lot of you know hard times too I haven't been able to see my family for a really long time and you know there's everyone's had their challenges some more and some less for sure but I feel like there's been like I was excited when all of a sudden there was all this time Mm. and space to just do nothing for a moment and just see what comes up and I remember like hearing about like my family back in Israel everyone works so so much it's such a big part of the mentality there and it's a necessity life is so expensive there Mm. and it's I feel like that's one of the biggest struggles of there like forget the political and all that stuff like just financially surviving there is is difficult and all of a sudden everyone had to stop and at first it was like oh my God, like, what do we do with ourselves? And then they, they leaned into it and they enjoyed it. And I just remember thinking, just don't forget this feeling when things, well, you know, go back to usual, not really, but, but the moment people went back to their regular routines, it was all gone. Mm. And 
for me, it's, it's not. I feel like it really changed my pace, mm. something that I was craving for so long. And there, you know, there, there were times when we were working on the school that I was working a lot and it felt so intense and so exhausting, but I knew it was a temporary project and it's not going to be the rest of my life like this all the time again. And there was some comfort in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, even, you know, when we go through our dark nights of the soul or our darkest moments, like COVID has been very dark and challenging, you know, different, different layers and levels to it all for, for different people, for sure. But it's like, it's always darkest before the dawn. So even when we're going through those personal experience experiences Mm -hmm. where it's really dark and heavy looking back, there will be medicine in it and there'll be, it'll create something magical. It's just, we don't see it when we're in it. So it's, you know, the collective has been going through it and then we're all going through it in our personal journeys. But when we can, um, slow down and see, we might see that wisdom in the darkness. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes a as zooming out as a higher perspective, like Eagle <laughs> has been such a teacher for me these past couple moments. And I saw this one, this, uh, an Eagle this morning, and it's like, just zoom out, look at the big perspective, you know, yeah. see things. Yeah. So what has been your biggest lesson along the way? To just always listen to my heart and my intuition, mm. which is something that is my go-to, but I've definitely had my moments of self-doubt. And every time my intuition was right and my heart was right. And even if it doesn't make sense to other people or sometimes to me, it always is my right path. And uh, yeah, it's what I keep coming back to just, you know, my intuition, it it really knows. There's this part of us deep within that knows our intuition and it's, mm-hmm. the path is listening to it. Cause it usually asks us to step outside of our comfort zone. Like when you were speaking about doing the, the classes, you know, with video and all that, that's probably out of your comfort zone or it was at that time. And so it's like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> yeah, this feels unnatural for those moments. And then it just becomes natural. And then it's the next layer and, you know, stepping outside the comfort zone. Well, everything is new until it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just normal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How do you experience the mysteries? Hmm. Yeah. Just sometimes, you know, there are moments, there were moments less and less with time. I feel that things just don't make sense. Why is this happening to me? Like, why, why? does my world feel so like falling apart? And, but after having some of these moments and seeing how they evolve, I've learned that there's a reason that maybe I'll, I'll never know exactly, but things always work out the way they should. And just knowing that, especially with, with pain and grief makes the process, I wouldn't say easier, but different. Like, it's funny, you know, I remember my first breakup when I was 15 and I I just thought, 
I'm never going to love again. My heart was shattered. And I just, I was, oh my goodness. The first time I felt that way. And, you know, it happened a few more times <laughs> over the years. But with time, I remember just thinking, okay, I feel like this now, but I know that I'm not always going to feel like this. And what I do is I ride the waves. If I feel sad, I let myself feel sad. And I listen to sad music or, you know, cry and do whatever, whatever comes and experience that pain rather than trying to avoid it. And if all of a sudden I feel good and my wave is like, hi, I'm writing and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm happy now. And that's okay. But five minutes ago I was crying, you know, and I feel like that's how I've learned to, like, I ride the waves, I ride the emotions, I experience them. And then the healing happens. Yeah. So beautiful. It's like being, meeting yourself exactly where you're at and accepting where you're at is trying to, as opposed to trying to resist it or avoid it. I think it's, you know, it's definitely a coping mechanism at times, but in the long term, I found that for me, it just, it comes back, it explodes. Mm. You can't, you can't run or hide from it. No. So oh, it will find you. <laughs> so just <laughs> embracing it. Yeah. 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 And how do you root into the self? I go inward and outward I my breath is always really helping me center Mm. just uh focusing on my breath but also being outside like you know if I'm having a hard day or me and my partner are processing something sad together we go for a walk in nature and it's always like being in movement and also being surrounded with nature. It's just like you release it. So that movement, whether it's a walk or a dance or yoga or just being in in water, like not even necessarily swimming. I just like sitting in the river or the lake or the ocean and just like just that movement around me. And uh, that's really where I keep finding myself again and again. Love that, and I love that the water and the ecstatic dance, and where mm-hmm. messages came. Water it sounds like such teacher for you, such a grounding energy. Yes, I I am water. I always think that I have this like you know this phrase in my in my mind that I remind myself at time. Um, I am water. I'm shaping the rocks of my life with my own movement. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I love that. Is there anything else that you want to add to this beautiful, rich conversation before we (laughs) close love that flew by? Oh yeah. I mean, thanks for having me. It's been so great. Just, I feel very elevated right now. Good. Good. It's cold here in Canada. So feeling, (laughs) I know elevated is good. From the beach to the snow, I came. Mm, yeah, that would be a hard, hard shift for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much, love. And I'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out to Roni and experience her cooking classes and the cookbook and all the magic 
all the magic that the food offers. So thank you so much. Thank for you. Being here with me. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.